We're halfway through the chapter. Again, hands go up. Hands go up and we'll give those Bibles out. Um, Please know that we go straight through Scripture. So the good news is wherever we left off, wherever we left off, you will be able to know where we're going to be next week as well. So... Let's start at the beginning of the chapter to get our point of reference. And then, is that okay with you, Jenny? Awesome. Read along with me if you would, please. This is what we read. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. A man who does these things shall live by them. It's Leviticus 18.5. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. That's from Deuteronomy 30, verse 12. Or who will ascend into the abyss. That's to bring Christ up from the dead. That's the next verse, Deuteronomy 30, verse 13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith by which we preach. That's the next verse, Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. Now, you should already be going, no, 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 that's not what it says. It says you will be saved, right? I mean, you guys are all reading the same Bible I am, right? Now, when God says you will be saved, what God means by that is you will be saved. You don't have to be a theologian. I can tell you in the original language, it means you will be saved. It's as simple as that. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is rich, or over all, is rich to all who call upon him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's quoting from Joel 2.32. Well, how then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's Isaiah 52, 7, by the way. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? That's Isaiah 53, 1, by the way. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Oh, yes, indeed, they're sound has gone on into all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. And that's Psalm 19, 4, by the way. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke to you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. That's Deuteronomy 32, 21. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. That's Isaiah 65, 1. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's Isaiah 65, 2. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so, so much for the privilege of tonight. 
for what you're going to do in this time. For the honor that it is, Lord, to seek your face and to love on you and to just seek to bless you. Thank you that we have a blessable God. You'll tell us to bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We're to, we should challenge ourselves to bless you. Thank you we have a God who takes delight in his own. Thank you, God, that you are a God who knows us all by name, who seeks us individually, who seeks to love on us and to challenge us and to draw us close tonight. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come upon me in such a way, Lord, that you would do through me what I cannot personally do, humanly do, and that is to speak to every person here tonight right where they need to hear. Lord, going beyond every language barrier, Everything, Lord, that kind of makes things rough for us to understand, Lord, spiritually discern everything. And may we have so much fun in your scripture tonight. And let your word burst open and come alive for us, Lord, I pray. And Lord, please, tonight, minister, take every weak thing and strengthen it. Every discouraged thing, Lord, and encourage. Every challenged thing, Lord, and bring hope. Lord, I just pray tonight that you would set us on fire for you, Lord. That we would fall in love with the God who loves us so dearly. So, Lord, I pray that you would take every second now and redeem it. Minister now in this time, Lord, and let it just be a beautiful time, I pray. And I just commit this to you, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, let the Bible have the final say. Now, here's where we're at in this text. Paul has been developing this, and obviously look at the first verse again of the chapter. This is a guy with a broken heart for his own nation. So here, without even going any farther, I just want to hear, what are your people? When you came from? If you were to say your lineage, the people from which you trace your bloodlines, what is that? Just kind of bark them out one at a time. Jamaica. America. How could you say that so quietly? These were like, America! Okay, who else? Barbados. Was that South Africa? Was that? Uganda. I thought you said Canada, and I'm like, that's not true. Uganda. I'm with you on that. Irish. Irish. Aye. Nepal. Nepalese. I, how could you be so quiet too? Greek. Greek. Yes. Who else? Australia. Kiwi. You guys, look at how close you guys are sitting. That's kind of fun. See, I think that that's only appropriate. <laughs> see, look at that. English. There, see, there's got to be, yeah, you got, we got to have you here too, for goodness sakes. Sorry? Lebanon. Woo! Cameroon. Brazil. Brazil. Oh, yeah, there are the, yeah. Where's my Portuguese contingency? Portugal. Portugal. Okay, Turkey, imagine what it would be like if God broke your heart for your people. Is there a nation in the world that doesn't need Jesus? Now please understand where Paul starts this whole thing. Is Paul was born and raised in the very best of Jewish schools. I mean, consider this. As far as the Talmud is concerned, and the Talmud basically considered as a, a commentary on the Old Testament written in about 500 A.D., and it was written by a bunch of Jewish men who would call themselves Jewish scholars. And they said that of all the teachers of the day, in the days of Jesus, there was no greater teacher than that of Gamaliel. He was, what they said is when he died, the glory of the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, died with him. And he was the guy that wrote 
the book of Romans. He was his personal teacher. And this guy was raised to be the Jew of Jews. I mean, this guy was just raised to be... I mean, think of it this way. It would be like Rodrigue being born in Cameroon, raised by people to be the next king of Cameroon, would be the idea. You know, King Rodrigue. It's got a nice ring to it, actually. And, had, and, and then being removed from that environment to go and minister to people that were very opposite, like here, very opposite of Cameroon. But he'd say, but my heart's desire is still for Cameroon. I would still want to see the people saved there. I want to see the Irish saved. I want to see them do more than just jig and drink beer. I want to see them actually fall in love with Jesus. The Brazilians, beyond just going to a church with stained glass and the incense, the Americans, more than the quote-unquote Christian country, or the Greeks behind the veils and the icons and the incense. Is there a part of you that's broken for that? Now, look, at it doesn't have to be your own people. God's broken my heart for here. Which, by the way, seems to be, according to what you just said, every other people. Yeah, in America as well. But understand, he says, look, at the problem is not that they're not zealous. Second verse says, they have a zeal. It's just not in accordance with knowledge. Now, please understand, all the excitement in the world does not amount to anything if it's not in the right place. You could say, congratulations, you're so excited. But hey, Hitler was very excited too, but I don't think God was applauding him. There are a lot of people that are very excited, but excitement in the wrong place is a dangerous thing. You know that, and it doesn't even have to be for the Lord. You could think of a great business venture, or when you're younger, think of, oh, that's the perfect person, and I'm going to pour all my passion there, only to find out that was a really bad choice. Now it says that though this is the case, they chose not to submit to the righteousness of God. Notice the term being ignorant in verse 3. It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And again, the whole point of that is there's two ways. Understand, righteousness is one of those terms we use in Scripture, but it's a really simple term. What righteousness means, in the simplest sense, is to be right where you belong. It's actually a building term. Dikasone is the word in the Greek. And, and the word means to be properly placed. You should be really glad that that post is righteous. Because if it wasn't in the right place you would be picking up the ceiling from yourself. So you can imagine, that needs to be where it is. Now please understand in this, there's only two ways to get right with God, and only one of them works. Please hear me. What it says here is that they sought to establish their own, which in the simplest sense means that they were self-righteous. To be honest, every other religion in the world is self-righteous. Because what that means is, yourself is what made you righteous, what made you right with God. Which means that everywhere, somewhere down the line, we all wake up at one point in our life and we realize, I'm not right with God. I'm not right with Him. And I need to get right with Him. So what do I do? So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pray and I'll seek God and I'll read the Bible and I'll memorize the book of Leviticus and all of the lineages and all the stuff that nobody else would memorize. And you know what else I'll do? I'll make sure I burn incense and I'll light candles and I'll give money and I'll give all my stuff away to the poor and I'll do all of this stuff and then I'm going to bring all of this before God and say, God, check out all of this stuff I did. What you think? How you like me now? And God's like, but you're still trying to make yourself right with me. 
On the other side of it, God so loved you, and He so loved me, that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, monogenes, in other words, the only one from God's own gene pool, and He took this guy, and He nailed him to a cross so that your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and my sin, could be nailed to the cross with Him, so that Jesus could pay the price, because what makes me not right with God, what makes you not right with God, what makes you not right with God, is our sin. And here's the problem, is that doing all of this nice stuff doesn't take away our sin. It doesn't deal with the guilt. And you know, that's the problem. Every once a week, until we adopted Ruthie, until we started adopting Ruthie, I bought flowers for my wife. It was a regular occasion. And without fail, as I'm checking it out, at least every other time, if not more, the woman would say, oh, in a fight, huh? She just assumed if I was buying flowers, I was trying to get right with my wife by buying her flowers. Now, I don't know about you. One thing I learned early in life is buying something doesn't normally make things right when you've offended someone. It's like, hey, really sorry I slapped you in the face and called your mother ugly, but here's some flowers. Now, by the way, I've never done either of those things to my wife. I bought flowers, but neither the other two. Now, follow me on this. If we know it doesn't work with people, why would we think it works with God? And so and people go, you're so self-righteous. So hey, look at, I'm not, I'm Jesus righteous because I couldn't make me right. Jesus made me right because he's the one who paid for all of my sins and then rose from the dead. So the question then is, well, then how do I take this concept and then really apply what's my responsibility to what Jesus did? Because if I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How do I know it's enough? Well, the hard part is, is that that's where that leads to. Because it says, look at the righteousness of God is not about crawling up there, raising yourself up so you can get to God, or lowering yourself so you can humble yourself to be where God is. It's about actually this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He's going to save you. You don't have to do anything but this. Believe and say it. Here's the danger, is what it says in that verse, and that's Romans 10, 9, and 10 now, what it says there is it says so much more than what we teach if we're not careful. We'll say, brother, Jesus died for you, and you need to let him in your heart. Now, sounds lovely. Well, not really to me, but it, but, but it doesn't work, and I'll tell you why. Because according to Scripture, it's got to be more than Him just being your Savior. Notice in the verse, it doesn't say, if you confess with your mouth, the Savior Jesus. And ironically, to be honest, it would be redundant. Redundant, the same, the same thing. Because Jesus means God the Savior. If we're going to confess just Jesus, we're confessing God's already Savior. To confess Him as Lord means He has the right to call the shots in your life. And that becomes the hard thing. To me, it astounds me that anybody would say no to Jesus as Savior. You know what I mean? I mean, to me, if I were kind of the guy that would play the odds, I would say yes to everything if I could, just to make sure that whoever it was that's going to make the final decision is okay with me. But the idea of surrendering to Jesus as Lord, now that's a bigger deal. Because that actually demands that I submit to His law, to His rulership, and that's really, that's tough. Let's be honest. So when the Lord says, hey, you know what, i got to make a choice for you, and this is the choice, and you're like, yeah, but I don't like it, and God says, but I wasn't taking a vote. 
I know what's best for you. And you guys, my flesh doesn't agree. And, you're, and you think the Lord's going to be like, oh, well, as long as your flesh doesn't agree, then I guess it's okay. The Lord knows that our flesh is going to crawl up. Let's face it. You can sit up all night and watch TV or play a video game. And you'd be like, but you open up your Bible and you're like, how did that happen? And the strange thing about it is our flesh is so quick to do stupid things. But won't do anything that's of benefit without some form of conscious effort. Please hear me. This is what the Bible demands. It doesn't say just let Jesus be your Savior and tell everyone he died for you. Because lots of people died. Matter of fact, dare I say, every person who's dead died. Does that sound pretty rough to figure that one out by now? But only one person got back up on his own free will. Other people did rise, but with God's help. But Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. Think about that for a second. What separates Jesus from Muhammad and Buddha and anybody else that's ever lived, and anyone else that ever thought they were being nice, be them delusional or sane, whatever, what separates them is, is Jesus went down to the grave and he came back up again. And that's what separates him. And that's why I need to testify of more than just Jesus dying for me. Because, see, people say, well, 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 wait a minute, so you're a Christian. You believe in a guy that lived a couple thousand miles away 2,000 years ago? And you're like, yeah, and he still talks to me. Doesn't that sound a little weird to you if it wasn't true? I mean, I love this guy, but we're not like that. And, and one day he's going to come back and suck me into the sky. That sounds really bizarre, but it is true. Please, please follow me on this. If we just kind of go with, I'm banking on Jesus being my Savior, and I'm cool with Jesus dying for me. Well, you're on one side of the cross. But the moment you're like, you know what? Because Jesus rose again, he has the right to be the Lord of my new life now. That really transfers huge. And to be honest, there are going to be many, many people who call themselves Christians. And I'm not telling you they are or they aren't, because it's not my job to decide that. They're going to be really shocked at the life they wasted. Honest, because they never really let Jesus be the Lord. And here's the sad part, friends. The sad part is, this Jesus loves you more than you do, knows you better than you do, and has a better plan for your life than you do. Nobody will benefit you more than Jesus. No one knows what's best for you better than Jesus. No one knows how to get you to the best place better than Jesus. And any time we argue with him, we're arguing at our own peril. Does that make any sense? The rest of the chapter, to be honest, is really about the point of everyone. Because the, the idea of it is everyone or anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, understand, to the Jewish mindset, right in that first century B.C., before Jesus came, there were two guys. And please follow me on this, and I'll try not to give you too much history. But there were two basic guys. There was one guy, and just for the sake of it, we'll give you an image here. One guy, and his name was Shemai. Does everyone say Shemai. And there was another guy, and his name, see, look at that, his name was Hillel. What do you say, Hillel? Similar to Hallelujah, because his name means praise. Hillel, Shemai. Shemai means hearing, like Shema. You with me on that? Shemai was the hardcore. Think of him as the drill sergeant, boot camp, RAF commander for the Jewish people. His whole idea is, if you're Jewish, good, be a good Jew. And, he, and his laws were things like you would take a little stick and you would take this giant log. And when you were a kid, you would take a log about the same weight as yourself 
And they still do it to this day in the camp of Shammai. And three kids with little sticks try to push this giant log up a hill to show how tough it is to be a Jew in the world. That was the idea. If you were to ask Shammai, what is a Gentile? He would tell you, and I kid you not, fuel for hell. That's what he would say. Now, that's not, by the way, that's actually not Mark's case. But that was Shammai's case. He was just one of those guys. He's like, look, if you're not born Jewish, if you can, maybe you can sneak in in this whole proselyting thing. But in the end of it all, Jews are Jews, and that's just the way it is. You got me on that? Now, needless to say, unless you were kind of hardcore, proud-to-be Jew guy, chances are not everybody loved this guy. Now, this guy, on the other hand, was a little bit more easygoing. He was like, hey, it's all right, it's cool. Now, he wasn't totally liberal. Oh, go ahead, you can sit down, Mark. Yeah, thank you, for your sake. Um, the whole point of it, though, is that he was saying, you know what? If God's purpose was to raise up the Jewish people to be a light to the world, then that seems strange to me that we'd be a light to the world so we could show everyone how they could become fuel for hell. That seems a little strange. So what we should do is we should actually be out there sharing what it really means to walk with this living God. Does that make sense? This guy's grandson, by the way, was Gamaliel, the guy who taught Paul. To this day, if you go to Israel, they don't have Starbucks. They had one in Tel Aviv with bomb threats, shut it down within two months. I'm, I'm not joking, too. But they do have Cafe Hillel, named after this guy, because they like him because he just seemed like everything's cool. Let's be cool with each other. Can't we all just get along? That's it. See, thanks. That's the idea here. Now, follow me on this. That was the mindset, was this kind of really hardcore, this kind of lax a bit here. That was what we kind of ran into. And now all of a sudden, the Christian church is born. And when the Christian church is born, imagine those that were raised in the school of Shammai. They're like, well, Jews don't get saved. I'm sorry, Jews are already saved. They're pretty safe. But what about these other people? Well, what about Dekla? I mean, you're not Jewish, are you? Well, if we brought your wife, she'd be safe for the moment. But I mean, you know, you look and go, well, what about that guy? If he wanted to give his life to Jesus, what would you say? And he's like, well, he needs to become a Jew first. Think about how strange it is. He's like, no, wait a minute. Who told me that had to happen? So what does that mean? And he doesn't even know. He's like, I don't know. We have to do this little surgery. But other than that, I'm not really sure about the other parts. By the way, that would be enough for a lot of people. Anyways, but I mean, and on this side, and I, I would, if you were to go to two different churches, what church would you go to as a Gentile? And all of a sudden, this guy Paul is starting to say, hey, listen, because in the Roman church, this is a really big deal. And in the Roman church, he goes, listen, when Jesus died for you, when he died for you, he didn't die for you because he thought, well, the Portuguese will put over here or the Brazilians will put kind of next to them because they're kind of similar sometimes. And the Greeks will put over here, maybe next to the Italians because some people can't figure that and, or whatever. I mean, in, in the end of it all, it isn't like that. What the Lord did is he goes, look, at, he died for everybody. Whoever called on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, no matter whether you were somebody who were, was really nice and you were good to your family and you never punched a nun or ran over puppies or whether you were the kind of person that was just sick and twisted if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And the cool part is, listen, it's the only religion that exists where the playing field is level. Nobody has an advantage. I mean, you were raised, how many of you in here were raised in a good Christian home? Raise your hand. Oh, raise it high. Come on, don't be, don't be ashamed of that. Let me see. Okay, so that's about 5, 10% of you. Okay, how many of you were raised really, really, really not in a good Christian home? Raise your hand. Okay, and then there's those of you as well. 
How many of you were raised in who knows what kind of home, somewhere in between? How many of you don't have any arms to raise? Okay, that's a little ironic, right? Okay, follow me in this. If it was about being strong, Mark might have an advantage. If it was about being brilliant, Bjorn might have an advantage. If it was about being charming, you could pick whoever you want in the room would have the advantage. Here, the point of it is, is think about it. If it's like, look, at, you have to do these disciplines. So there are some people that are just, you know, there are some people with like, they're, like you sit down with them to eat lunch and their fork and their knife have to be parallel. Have you seen this? And just for fun, you might walk over and move their fork a little bit. And they'll be like, I'm going to put it back. And then they'll get their food and it's like their peas cannot touch their mashed potatoes, right? You know, and you kind of might, if they go to the toilet, you kind of scoot a couple in together and they start sweating when they come back and they start coming and brushing them back off. There's some people, their life is just really disciplined. Everything is, you know, if they're like rare, because I don't think any of them go to our church, but the ones that say, I'm going to be there at three. And what they mean is they're going to be there at three. I mean, it's a strange thought, right? And, and it's like discipline, right? And it's like, if they're one minute late, they're like, I'm so sorry. Oh my goodness, you know, and you're like, wow, actually, you're so much earlier than the average person that I meet up with, you know. And, and but then there are the other people that are kind of like, hey, man, I'll, I'll see you later, man. Well, like, what's later? Well, later, you know. Well, I'll see you in the afternoon. Afternoon. What time is that? That's until ten tonight. Okay, I got that, you know. And there, so there are different kinds. But think about what it was like if God said, okay, if you had to do these disciplines. If you had to pray this many times a day, you had to take this trip over here, you had to fast during this time, and you had to do this to the poor, some people will have an advantage. If it was about being brilliant, some people would be able to get it. And to be honest, if you'll pardon me for saying, anyone who's mentally retarded would go to hell. Let's be honest. But the cool thing is, the one thing God created every human being to be able to do, to be honest, is to cry out to Him. It's to surrender. It's the one thing you can do. You're like, well, what if you don't have a mouth to confess? God hears your heart. But if you do have a mouth to, con- mouth to confess, confess! Stop worrying about the guy with no mouth if you have one. Like, what about that person in China? Go ask them. But first, why don't you get it right first? You got that? Now, follow me on this as we walk through this. So this is where we go from here. So listen to the anyone, anyone, anyone kind of thing, because that's kind of the whole point of this. So here's what it says. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes, remember believe, pistuho, epistuho, means to just put your trust on it, put your trust upon Jesus, you'll be made right with him. If you're willing to confess, he'll save you. Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Quick question, who will not be put to shame? Okay, yeah, there's two words in the scripture here. Look at the verse with me, verse 11. Who will not be put to shame? Yeah, whoever believes on him. Notice verse 12. There's no distinction. If you're Portuguese, that's awesome. If you're Brazilian, that's awesome. If you're from anywhere in Africa, that's awesome. If you're from anywhere, strangely enough, from England. We even have a couple of those. We, we keep them. We chain them here just so that we have, we don't get, you know, our charter revoked. Um, that's awesome. The point is, is the Lord doesn't look and go, oh, you're Greek. Do I smell incense or not? It doesn't. You're Nepalese. What are you doing here? The good news is, is that God doesn't look at the outer part. And here's the strange thing. Your heart looks a lot like mine. No, actually, mine might be a little fatter and more corroded. That's, decided, that's decidedly. But the Lord looks at the inside. And your, the color of your blood is the same as mine. 
And in the end of it all, what we really need is a heart transplant. And that heart transplant is the heart of Jesus. And the good thing is, is every one of us is dying from the same illness. And that illness affects everyone. And that's, that, that illness is sin. Sin affects every human being. And with that, because that's, if you pardon me for saying, though I won't call it a disease in regards to what a literal disease is, but it is the illness for which every, uh, there's, if everyone has the same illness, there should be only one cure for everyone. And that cure doesn't have to be different just because someone's Turk or just because someone's an American or because someone's English or because someone's from Barbados or from someone's from Greece or from Cyprus or from Australia, they don't have to give it down under, or whatever the case is. In the end of it all, no matter who you are, whoever believes on Him, whoever calls on Him, whoever accepts the gift of Jesus as Lord, Savior, resurrected Savior, resurrected Lord, He'll save you. And people say, well, what about the Chinese? Let me tell you a quick little story. When Mao Zedong took over the Chinese government and enforced communism. You're probably aware of the fact that and, and communism, uh, I won't build on it too much, but get the idea. Communism basically says everybody should share everything. They all should have, be at the same place. The problem is someone has to be in charge of making sure everybody's at the same place so that doesn't work. How could everyone be at the same place and someone could be in charge to make sure everyone else is on the same plane? Does that make sense? But anyway, nonetheless, so there's somebody, and he, when he rises, his idea is that he actually says, well, then, then all religion must be eradicated from China. We cannot allow any religion. And the worst of all those religious people were those Christians. Oh, they were crazy. It just seems like no matter how much we threatened them, they wouldn't stop. So this is what they did. He passed a law that said anyone who was baptized a Christian would get seven years in prison. Anyone who baptized would get 14 years in prison. Now, it's interesting. In other words, if you weren't going to publicly confess yourself as, Christ, as a Christian, you were no threat to him. That was his idea. Interesting, in Israel to this day, if you tell people you're a Christian, they say, well, what kind? And you're like, well, how many kinds are there? And they're like, two. There's a normal Christian, and then there's a believing Christian. That's the term the Israelis use. The normal Christians, the Orthodox. And by the way, they're no threat. But those believing Christians, oh, they're a threat because they go out and share and they try to steal the souls of Jewish people by getting them saved and all that stuff. Now, now follow me on this. Mao Zedong then starts, you know, having people arrested. So there it is. Dukala gets arrested for being baptized. You know, Marcia gets arrested for being baptized. Marcia Henderson gets, gets 14 years because she's the baptizer because she's out there sharing Jesus and, and with that. And so guess what starts to happen? Prison ministry time, everybody's getting saved in prison, and you could just tell he's getting upset. He's like, oh, come on! This is the last thing I want. Oh, it's interesting, because he really didn't have any care for the prisoners, but just the same, he didn't want them becoming Christians. So then one of his chief advisors says, you know, it seems like they work off of fellowship with each other. Separate them, and they'll disappear. So I kid you not, Mao Zedong was the person who actually said, okay, we've got 360 or 500,000 believers in this small area. So we're going to take one and we're going to put them here. We're going to take one and we're going to put them here. Take one and put them here. And you know what just happened, right? You sent a bunch of sparks on a bunch of dried grass, 
revolution took place all over China. Mao Zedong became the first missionary sender employed by the government on the government's expense to get missionaries all over China. Everywhere we've gone in China, we've gone and we've met people that are in a church somewhere that are still praising God like this. Because they're not singing, because they still think that they're still fearful. But man, their hearts are open and they're praising God. And here's the point of it all, is that in the end of it all, God will save the Chinese. So someone says, well, what about the Chinese? I'd say, I think you should go meet them. I think you would be really, really encouraged. The Aborigine down in Australia, where you know, you know, if you know what a true Aborigine is, they have no facial hair. They're dark as night with no facial hair. But in their own wall relief, in their wall paintings, in their cave paintings, you'll see this man with a beard and a mustache with holes in his hands. And you ask them, well, who is that? And they'll say, that's the God man who came and died for us. And you go, whoa, 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 who told you about that? My great, 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 great grandfather. You're like, wait a minute. So how long has this been around? It's been around forever. And that's the strange thing is, is God knows how to get his message to people. In places like Iran where it seems constrictive, he just tends to knock them off of their, stop them in the middle of their car and give them bad dreams all the time. That's what I hear. Do you hear that a lot these days? It's like this guy, and it's like, oh, I don't know. I was going to the store and God stopped me and knocked the apples out of my hand and said, hey, you need to give your life to me. I mean, and the reason is, the reason I say this, the Lord knows that if anyone would call on him, they would be saved. Now look at when we walk out those doors, consider us in the locker room, but when we walk out those doors and we take the field, I want you to look at every person and go, you're in anyone, you're in anyone, you're in anyone, you're in anyone. They go, you see the guy, my daughter calls him butterfly head. He's got two mohawks, just like this, because he doesn't have, he has no hair here left, right? But he's got, so he's got the Athens ring and he decided to spike it out, so he's like, woof, woof, woof. he's in anyone. The guy that's going to come over and go, yo, 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 you want some weed? He's in anyone. The girl that's obviously there trying to sell her wares, she's in anyone. And if she would call on the name of the Lord, God would save her. Isn't that just beautiful? Here's the dangerous thing, beloved. We could get so caught up in arguing about hairstyles, about drugs, and know that, no, bottom line is we're about, you know, professions. And we can agree that's a dangerous and horrible profession. And you can like or not like the hair or, you know, drugs. That's a really bad thing. But in the end of it all, they could stop selling drugs. She could stop being a prostitute. He could get a haircut or shave his head or whatever. And they could all still go to hell and we've done nothing. And if we really want to argue over those things, we're not getting to the point because there's only one thing that saves and that's Jesus. And you know know that and so does the enemy. And that's why the enemy's got us harping on everything else. Because if he gets us harping on anything else, we'll score no points. Hear me, one last thing on this and we'll dive into our text a little bit and develop the last couple of things. I played American football pretty seriously. Now, I know for you guys it doesn't look like football. And I'll be honest, I think your game should be called football and our game should be called soccer because we sock them. That was the whole idea of it. You know, you guys, you trip and you hold your shin for an hour. But, but I, we all have our games. But follow me in this. When I, when I played, when I played back when, you grab, this, you grab this ball, you tucked it in as tight as you could, and you just pushed everyone and kicked everyone on your way out, and you just basically, the whole goal was to keep going until you got past a certain line, which, for which they gave you points. 
Now, when I played, the whole goal was, at least for my, the people who tried to stop you, was to disable you. That seemed like the way it was. Aim for the hips, aim for the knees, try to throw the guy on his shoulder, do whatever you can to really break a rib or whatever. And that was kind of the way the game was played. We kind of knew that. If you were good, they tried to hurt you more. You recognize that. But today I've learned the game is a lot different. Now, today, when you're running, if you're running for this, like if he were, if Mark's such a good guy for this, if Mark was going to go tackle me, originally Mark would have dropped down low like this and he would have gotten here so he could take me here and throw me up. These days, if I'm carrying the ball, Mark's first place he goes is right here. He doesn't even care about tackling me. All he wants is his ball. See, what Mark knows is that if I don't carry this ball, I don't get any points. Does that make, does that make sense? So these, these days, I'm running like this. He may even let me pass. And as he lets me pass, he just sticks his hand here and strips the ball from me. Do you see what I'm saying? Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, bro. Now, here's the point. That's what I think the enemy is doing with Christianity today. And I'm seeing it work. Here's what we do. We're going like, we started out with, we're going to start a rehab center, and it's going to be all about Jesus. And we're going to let them know about Jesus, and we're going to see them come clean. Nobody's going to stand up and applaud, but maybe a handful of churches. And so, you know, we start doing is we start talking about, well, this guy's clean, and this guy's clean, and this guy's clean. Yeah, what about the Jesus part? Well, that's not as important anymore, and we just drop the ball. You know, we're going to go out, and what we're going to do is we're going to preach Jesus to the homeless and give him blankets. Now, today that would be cruel. We can all agree. But in two more months, it's going to be a different story, in theory. You know, what we're going to do, we're going to feed the, those that are poor. We're going to make sure that we get decent shelters for them. We're going to go take care of the AIDS babies in Africa. We're going to go reach out to the people who are dying of AIDS. You know, and what happens is that stuff is great as long as the ball's still here. But it's almost like as Christians, what we did is we threw down the ball, which is Jesus, and we just did this. Woo! Made it! Check me out! I'm good! I'm good! I'm good! And what happened is, is that everyone looks and the world says, Yeah, look at how far you got. And the reason is, why would the enemy want to tackle you? Because you're no threat. See, what you did is you temporarily changed people, so now they're sober when they go to hell. Now they're clothed better when they go to hell. Now they're nicer, but then they're going to hell. And somewhere in all of that, we just forgot the one thing, that's Jesus. It doesn't say whoever becomes nicer. It doesn't say whoever's sober. It doesn't say whoever stops being homosexual, or whoever stops having premarital sex, or whoever finally marries the girl he's living with. But what it says is whoever comes and calls on the name of Jesus, all that other stuff seems to work its way out once you surrender to Him as Lord. As Savior, you'll still say, this is my life, don't touch it. But as Lord, he said, then we say, you, this is, my, this is your life, do with it what you want. Now follow me as we close this up. Does that make sense? Look at whether you are a Greek, and they're actually here, Greeks, whether you're Jewish, God doesn't know, God, God's not looking at that. Nobody's got the inside track. And by the way, for the Jewish person, that's got to be a little rough to read, wouldn't it? I mean, because for a couple thousand years, you were busy telling everyone why you were the important one. Now, God had raised you up. But he raised you up so you could be a light. Now, look at this. Verse 14. How should they call on him whom they have not believed? In order for someone to believe, they'd have to call him. I'm sorry, in order for them to call on him, they're going to have to believe on him. How are they going to believe in him if they haven't heard about him? How are they going to hear about him unless somebody preaches? Oh, there's the problem. 
Jenny, you got some picks for us? Here's the problem. Is that when we think of a preacher, we tend to think of somebody like this. Right? And you go, that's kind of like you. That's why I wear a hat. All right, no. But this guy's a preacher too. We'll go through these quickly. Right? This guy's a preacher too. He actually looks like he's doing disco, doesn't he? Anyways. Do the shiko with the meat. All right. This guy's also a preacher. 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 <laughs> I love that one. It's a duet. This guy's a preacher. And this is also preaching. These guys are preaching. And this is what God tells us. Please hear me. All preaching. The word in the Greek is keruso. Like Robinson. Keruso. And the word simply means to share information with the intent of persuading an individual. That's all it means. Now, ultimately, you want to persuade them to action. Teaching just means to transfer information. So I'm teaching somebody, in other words, what I'm saying is, you know, this is brown. It's a lovely shade of brown. It's probably not going to change your life. I'm not looking to influence you. I don't think that's going to change anything. You could walk out of here going, I believe the pew is brown. Mm. Whoop-dee-doo. But if we really are going to be honest, you are all preachers. The question is what you're preaching. If you had a good experience in a restaurant, you just preached. If you said, oh, that's a good place, you should go there. You just preached. Had a bad experience, that was a bad experience. Oh, don't go there. You just preached. Someone said, hey, you better recycle. They just preached. I don't eat meat. You shouldn't either. They just preached. What are you preaching? Listen, God will save anyone who calls on him. Can I say in a simple sense? God will save anyone who says yes to him. Sound fair? Can I just move that one up, up one step? Listen, God will use anyone who will say yes to him too. You don't need a pastor's permission. You don't need a six-year degree. Now look it. You can go and study. That's great. But I, the best example I can use is a musician. We've joked, I've got to joke about that just a little while ago with Daniel. Is that It's like, it's nice if you have a degree, but in the end of it all, toilet paper would have been more useful. I mean, in the end of it all, it's like, but if you play, you play. I mean, there are people who have degrees who I still don't think can play very well at all. And the reason I say that is, is it's like, there are some people, like as a musician, they just love picking up a guitar and playing it, and it doesn't really matter. They don't need an audience. They just kind of enjoy it. And there are other people that would never dare do that unless there was a crowd of so many people and they had a writer with them. Please hear me. When it comes to serving the Lord, and if he really is your Lord, he's going to use you. And, and I can't even tell you how, but it's not my job to. My job is to encourage you, like myself, to fall in love with Jesus and put a yes in your heart. That's just that simple. If you fall in love with Jesus and put a yes in your heart, you'll never have to worry about if you're obeying or not. Does that make sense? Can I, can I just say, what I'm doing up here is just that. I've fallen in love with the Lord and I'm saying yes to him. And he said, well, then go and share. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. What if no one shows up? That's not your job. Go and share. The posts are going to hear it if you don't. The bottom line is, the good news 
is that if we all had a yes in our spirit, we would never have to lay awake at night going, I wonder what it would be like to fully follow him. So look at how are people going to hear unless somebody shares? Because people are preaching the false doctrines out there, and you know it, trying to get people away from Jesus. It's amazing how many people that are, call themselves atheists don't have a problem with Buddha or Muhammad or any of those other guys. They only have a problem with Jesus. Have you noticed that? We've gone to public markets where they've had like atheist booths and it's like every sticker is about Jesus. And I'm like, huh, funny. If you don't believe he exists, why don't you just include him with everybody else? Follow me in this. These people will believe if they can hear. But here's the problem. There's a difference between hearing and overhearing. And we're almost done now. You can overhear a lot of things, but you can choose to listen. Does that make sense? It's the word in the Greek is a word that we use to this day. Akuho. We get the word acoustic from it. The guitar I play is called an acoustic guitar. It's set up so that you could play without amplification. Of course, it's a lot louder when you plug it in. The reason why some people have sought to establish their own righteousness is because though they overheard, they won't listen. And the danger is that could be any one of us tonight. Well, we can hear, but not listen. We can hear being said, well, sure, God wants to use everyone. And, I, and ideologically, that makes sense. In theory, that makes sense. But use me. What does he want me to do? Become a lunatic? What does he want me to become? I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a little too crazy. Really? If God knows what's best, do you really think he's going to do something just to embarrass you? And what he really wants is to save your family, save your friends, and use you? Listen. Verse 16. Not of all obeyed the gospel. Do you know the word for obey comes from the same root word? It literally means to listen under. Because you can't obey if you don't listen. You ever have anybody? Those of you who have kids, you probably know how this is. You try to tell them to do something and they're ready to obey, it seems like, but they won't listen to what you want them to do. So they'll think that they obeyed, but really they didn't do really anything you asked them to. I did it. It's like, I want you to take all of your clothes, fold them, and put them in your drawer. You walk in and all the clothes are in a pile on the floor. Like, I thought you said get them off the bed. You're like, well, we actually had the same subject, clothes. And that's where you stop listening. But I'll tell you what, the Lord nails me on that. Because there's so many times where I'm like, okay, got it. And the Lord's like, no, 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 I'm not done with the directions yet. Does that make any sense? Am I talking to the ear or does anyone get that? The problem here, it says, is that these people won't believe because they won't listen. Now, to believe means I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust God that he's going to use me. But I'm weak. But I'm human. Duh. But I'm not, I don't understand everything. Duh. What do you think? I understand everything? But I've come from a bad background. But my mouth's filthy. Well, then let's let God clean it up. But I have questionable practices in my life. Let's, God, let's let God change them as our Lord. Let's let Him do that. Instead of going, and, and you know, there are people, has anyone ever talked to you like this? Because I, for whatever reason, I'm hearing a lot of this these days. Well, I can't really follow God completely because if I was going to follow God completely, I'd have to change this one thing. And so because I can't change this one thing, I just won't follow God. 
I'm like, why don't you just let God change that one thing? Well, that's a little complicated. Not to God. See, listen, all rebellion is, let's say this way, it's, there's so much delayed obedience. And we tend to, we tend to think God's blessed by that because we think he, he sees the better in it. But let's be honest. When God says, I really, I have this for you, Mark, and you're like, yeah, but just not today. God's like, why not today? I told you today. Listen. Not all have obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Faith comes by hearing. And there's our word now, to genuinely listen. And hearing by the word of God. You want faith? Choose to listen to this word. Don't just choose to overhear it. Don't let it just go... That it genuinely say, all right, you know what, God? If you would save anyone, why wouldn't you use everyone? And that just makes sense to me. Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet on the mountains of those who bring good news. Understand the idea is God's like, I understand feet were the nastiest part because that's the part that stepped in poop and that's the part that gathered all that stuff and everybody had sandals on and, you know, they were just kind of blistered and nasty. It isn't like, you know, they got, everyone was getting mani pedicures every day. This was like, this, you know, that was, this was the part that just gathered the nastiness from the earth all over. And he's like, God's like, even the nastiest part of you is beautiful when you're being used by me. Last couple of verses. Verse 18 says, But I say, have they not heard? And then he quotes about how the earth itself testifies in Psalm 19. Didn't Israel know? God already told them that he was going to raise up another people. Now I'm very thankful because that included me. And with that, he says, I was found by those who weren't even looking. And I'll be honest, when I discovered the Lord, I wasn't looking for him. I was busy trying to escape me, but I wasn't busy trying to find him. And, the, and this particular chapter ends with this. All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Please understand, if you think that this chapter just speaks about how God wants to send some to hell, I think you've missed the whole point of it. First Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all men to be saved. All men. And when he means all, I believe he means all. It's really awesome when I get to walk out and I see somebody that's clearly flat, cold, wasted. They're pickled out of their mind. They're about to barf on my shoes. And they look at me and they're like spouting all kinds of blasphemous things. And I can look them straight in the face and say, but God still wants you saved. Because scripture makes that clear. God wants you. You know what? The reason you're so troubled is because you know it too. And I know this. If you would call on the name of the Lord, he'd save you. If you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'd confess that he's your Lord, he'll save you. But that takes more. Am I preaching at you? You bet I am. Why in the world would I want you to hear that and not act on it? So listen. If you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as the one who died on the cross to save you and rose again to be your Lord, Tonight's the night to confess him with your mouth that he's Lord. But tonight, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, confess him as so, then I'd like to challenge you to take the next step, which is, Lord, then put a yes in my heart for your service, however you want to use me. Now, whether that means you're going to put me through some things to challenge me and shape me and buffet me and strengthen me and prepare me, I'm sure that that will probably happen. 
but you're going to go into training either way. It might as well have a purpose. Could you imagine if the only reason you worked out was just to work out? No, some people might do that. But imagine it's so much more when you're training for something. It has a purpose. In other words, if we all left here with a yes in our hearts, what would that do? How would the world be different? If we went to sleep tonight with a yes in our hearts, if we woke up tomorrow morning with a yes in our hearts to the Lord and said, Lord, you know what? I'm not going to freak out about this day. I'm not going to figure out about how I have to be used. That's your job. I'm the tool. You're the craftsman. I just want to have a yes in my heart no matter how you want to use me. And I'll go about life with that yes in my heart. And when you say do this, I just want to be ready to say yes. You realize that really is what real worship is? It's just having a yes no matter what in your heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much that whoever calls on your name will be saved. Not, not might be saved, not, you know, we'll take a vote on it, but whoever calls on your name will be saved. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've told us if we're willing to confess with our mouth, Jesus, that you are Lord. And truly trust in our heart that you are resurrected. Not just dead, but living. And therefore have a right to be our Lord's. Our Lord. I pray tonight we would demonstrate that. That we would truly confess you as Lord and not just as Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross to save us. But thank you that your plan for our life now is to transform us into something so much better than we could ever imagine. Please even right now prepare us for that. But I pray also for those who have called upon you and say, yes, I'm safe. I've called upon Jesus. He's my Lord. And I know Jesus, you've said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So Lord, I just pray tonight we would have a yes in our spirits, no matter what it is to stay here, to go here, to speak to that person, to not speak to that person, to be different in the way we do our handle business and the different in the way that we love on people, the different in how we view success and prioritize. Whatever it is, God, tonight, challenge us and change us. So, Lord, as I seek to lead in a prayer, I pray, Lord, that you would prompt our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond accordingly. Tonight, beloved, I would like to lead in a prayer. It's a prayer that I'm praying as well. So I'm going to do something different than I may normally do, and that's actually to go line by line and invite you to repeat after me, but that's because of what we've read in our text. And so tonight, I'd like you to listen, and as I stop, If you agree, I ask you to repeat after it and let it be your prayer as well. And here it is. God in heaven, you know I'm a sinner. Your turn. And that sin must be punished. But I believe you punished that sin. On the cross of your Son, Jesus the Christ, that He died for my sins so they could be fully punished. 
and that He rose again to be Lord, conquering my death, laying away my shame. So You have paid for my sin. You have risen again. And You ask me to say yes. And I say yes to Jesus as my Savior, to Jesus as my ransom, and to Jesus as my resurrected Lord. I'm Yours. May the rest of my life be lived with a yes. Yes to Your will. Yes to Your love. Yes to Your life. Yes to Your leading. Yes to Your Word. I want to worship You with a heart full of yes. So here I am. Lord my life, Jesus. Lord over me now. I say yes. In Jesus, in Your name. Amen. Thank You. Thank you, thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you in the Word and the honor that it is to love on you in Scripture. I want to encourage you. We could go and do another song, but I've got a guitar that can't keep tune, and I don't even know how to stay in tune with it vocally right now. Um, but I do want to encourage you. Let's get up. Let's um, enjoy some things together. Just have a yes in your spirit. Who knows what might happen? You might want to pray for someone, walking with someone, whatever. Guys, that doesn't mean you could go, she's cute, I think I should go pray for her. Um, Keep a yes in your spirit to the Lord, not to your own thing. And let's just, let's just do this. Lord, just bless, bless, bless my brothers and sisters, please, tonight. Lord, may we sense your delight in our surrender, and may we live that yes for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints.